John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Accessing entry 805.GN1032, certificate number 18088. Monrovia, Moravia, Moldova, Moldavia. That was fun to say. It is fun to say. It's one of the reasons it exists in my mind, because it's fun to say, but it's also necessary to know. Well, good, good thing we're including it in this exhaustive concordance of all the world's knowledge, then. That's right. It belongs in the omnibus, partly because... People ask, I think they ask you and they ask me, how our memory works a lot of the time. I do get that a lot. How does your memory work? People assume you have a photographic memory because you were so successful on that now ancient game show Jeopardy. Our listeners know and love Jeopardy. Sure, It's still on in their era. It's, host, sure. it's hosted by Alex Trebek's head in a jar of nutrients. Sure, I'm sure that futurelings that are old... Love future Jeopardy. <laughs> Jeopardy. Young future legs are still like, oh, is that that thing after future wheel of fortune? <laughs> future wheel of future fortune? But how does your memory work? Uh, well, as far as I know, photographic memory is not actually a thing that exists. Hmm. Like mm-hmm. some children have a thing called eidetic memory where uh, visual stimuli will persist after they've looked away from something. So you can look at a page and then a few minutes later recite it. Right. But it's like a visual trick, not, oh. a, not a memory thing. Um, I think I just do what everybody else does, which is if I'm interested in a fact, as I think about it, I kind of fit it into other things I know. Right. Like if, I, if you just give me eight numbers out of context, I'm not like beep, boop, beep, ready to go, you know? <laughs> right. But if it's something I'm interested in and I, it reminds me of a story or other stuff I know, I have a place to store it, you know? Right. We've talked about this before, that you and I both have a our own sort of uh, matrix or architecture in our minds. And when you get a new piece of information. It's not that it, you have to memorize it and it just exists in, in empty space. It's much easier to slot it in somewhere and say, oh, right, this belongs next to something I already know. And maybe we, we just are, uh, have a little knack for it. You know, maybe, maybe we just do have some built-in associative memory that's better than other. I don't know. Or, or have a narrative memory. I mean, like it is a four-dimensional matrix. It's a tesseract of uh, <laughs> of memory and of kind of a you know a vision of the future, the present, the I past. Don't, I don't find myself trying to do it though. Is, no, is no, what no. I'm saying. No, it just it, works. It's just um, you know I hear something and I'm like, oh, that reminds me of this other thing. It's it's just curiosity that sparks it. Right. But in the instance of this little monomic, would you call this a monomic? Uh, it rhymes. Monrovia, Moravia, Moldova, Moldavia. 
I think so, because it rhymes. The reason that I developed this was that these names, these place names, all sound very similar to one another. And it's in kind of describing the world geographically or trying to understand how different countries and cities fit together, it was always confusing to me because, you know, you hear these place names thrown into descriptions of historical, political, you know, not just battles, but countries change hands, things change names. And I was never quite 100% confident in the difference between Monrovia and Moravia, for instance. Uh, and I could never 100% tell what Moldova or Moldavia were. So I put this little rhyme together in order to kind of tease out or, or give myself a little uh, jumping off point to remember. And I mean, it's not important in my daily life to know. You don't recite this as you walk the dog or whatever? Well, as a matter of fact, over the years, it became a kind of little mantra for me. I would walk <gasps> around, really? you know, like it was it was a thing that would kind of piece me out. It calms you down. Yeah. Just if some like, guy cuts you off in traffic, you're just like, <laughs> Monrovia, Moravia, Moldova, Moldavia. A little, a little. It would just, it, it's like saying Om or Hare Krishna. Uh, it just started to be a little like, a little song that I would sing if I was stuck in traffic. It, uh, it reminds me of Hakuna Matata. Yeah, that's right. Monrovia, Moravia. What a wonderful <laughs> yeah. phrase. Moldova, Moldavia. It's no passing craze. <laughs> and so then it, then it suggests all these other things, like I'd like to visit all of these places. Ooh, because on, on the same trip? Well, it'd be a hell of a trip. Are there direct flights from Monrovia <laughs> to Moravia? I, I don't think there are, but it would be a heck of an adventure. Like, it's an example of an adventure for no reason. Right. Like I'm going to go to these places because I made up a little song about them 20 years ago. But, you know, because the age of exploration is over, I was thinking about this when we talked about the Darien Gap, you know, that in, in uh, humanity's tireless quest to map every part of the planet, we, we did it so well that now there's nothing left, you know. Seemingly nothing left. Seemingly. Right. There's all very few empty spots left on the map. There are, although I think there are huge parts of like um, Siberia which we think we understand because it's bound on all sides. It's like there's an ocean here, there's a country here, countries all around. But nobody's really ever... But no one's there. Well, maybe that'll be my next episode. Siberia, Iberia, Liberia, <laughs> and Wisteria. Yeah, Wisteria. <laughs> but, but, you know, because the world, you know, there's this paradox that in being explorers, we ran out of things to explore. And, and in recent memory, ran out of things that were still sure. sort of there be dragons, even within... Living memory, I sure, guess. Sure, like Everest was not climbed until the fifties and forty nine. Yeah, was it later? Fifty two? I don't know. Right around there. Right. I feel like it's the same time that fantasy literature started, and my theory is that that's where epic fantasy comes out of. You know, this need to have new maps to look at now that there's no more. Boy, I wonder what's in that you know mysterious mountain range. And the world is full of people who do sort of arbitrary itineraries like yours. Right. You know, there's, there's some guy out there visiting every Denny's. Right, you know, the, the guy or, that's been to every Starbucks in the world. Yes, or, there's yeah. an do amazing documentary about this guy who goes to every Starbucks. And uh, and they it, keep opening new Starbucks, so he has to keep... It's a Sisyphean yeah. <laughs> caffeinated task, and it only counts if he drinks something from every Starbucks. Oh, so the guy wow. is just wired and... Uh, Especially in New York City, where there are Starbucks sometimes on all four corners of an intersection. Sometimes I just think he needs to get a pastry or something. He can't like be drinking that much. It can't be good for him. Yeah, those little cake pops are pretty good. Sure, sure. If something, you're a child. Something, <laughs> <laughs> and you are a child if, you, if this is your job. I think. There's a, in the video, in the documentary there, about him, there's a scene where he spills a drink and he freaks out because he can't 
count it if he doesn't drink the drink. Oh, so no. here he is sucking it out of his dusty, mildewy cup holder in his car oh, with one of those little stirrers. Gross. So I mean, how much of a drink does he have to drink in order to, to count it? Apparently in his mind, it's got to, maybe it's over 51%. Good Lord. To me, it would be like if the ball crosses the line, you know? Yeah. If, if the tongue goes into the drink, check that baby off. Although you're not someone who counts being in an airport as having visited that state or country, are you? That is true. Like, right. I feel like that doesn't count. You know, if you, you land at the effort. Atlanta airport and transfer to another plane, it's not like you've been to Georgia. Cause I'm a bit of a country counter. Like sure. I, I've been to most, have you been to every state? Every state. I yeah. knew you had. Yeah, from every your, state. You're a troubadour, John. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I've been to 43 or 44, mm-hmm. but I don't count airports and I don't count countries where I just switch planes. Nope. Nope. Got to get the visa. You got to get out there. I've been to most European countries, although there are a few, like I've never been to Finland. And depending on where you draw the line in Europe, like I've never been to Ukraine. That's European, right? Yeah, now. (laughs) (laughs) It's been annexed by Russia, a largely European country. I think it was, I think it's, yeah, it's absolutely Europe. But, you know, like uh, when I started that quest, there was still an Eastern Europe. Sure. And so it was, there were limitations on what you could do. Yeah, we may be speaking to uh, future listeners who live in a one-world state. Sure. It's or, a utopia. Or where the European states finally do create a united, the united country of Europe. Although there have always been competing impulses in people to unite and divide. Sure, we're in the middle of an age of balkanization. We really are. We just we recently had a referendum in Catalonia where they want to sort of separate from the nation of Spain. And this is only recently, very recently, after Spain finally came to a rapprochement with the uh, the Basque people who had been for decades fighting a war of secession, a minority group had been fighting a war of secession from Spain. And they have a completely distinct language, distinct from any other uh, language in Europe. Sure, it's closer to... Finnish or Korean or something weird. Even further afield than that, I think the Basque language is closer to like the language of the ancient people that lived under the polar ice caps. The Lemurians. There is no, there is no analog to it anywhere. It developed completely in isolation. Whereas Catalonia or Catalan. It's just Spanish with a French accent, probably. It's, it's a little bit of a, of a Spanish-French hybrid. It's a French guy eating tapas. But so Spain finally kind of like resolved this Basque conflict. And I think the the Catalonians were always buoyed in their desire for independence by the Basque conflict, although they didn't like the bombing. Oh, I've been buoyed by a Basque. It's great. <laughs> I dated a Basque recently, and it did not buoy me. It, it's true that the Catalonians never had, never, were never blown up uh, post offices and stuff. Uh, no, like, they weren't. And Catalonia has quite a history of, like, when um, when the Moors invaded Spain, uh, Catalonia always maintained a little bit of autonomy, even within the Moorish conquest. And, you know, the islands of uh, Majorca and Majorca both have a kind of Catalan uh, connection. Oh, is that right? They're they're ethnically not super... They don't... They're not as Spanish. Castilian? Uh, They're not Castilian, no. And the languages are are quite a bit different. I guess that's what happens when your country's borders do not follow ethnic borders. It's, you know... You got you got these cultures that have languages and customs and food totally unlike the man, right? And they are thinking, well, why don't we have Basque country? Right, that'd be a good time. Well, and the, and so humans are are always pushed in these different directions, right? We want we think that um, utopia comes as a result of unifying 
our differences. That's the Star Trek world. One, right? one world government. The Federation, for some reason, run out of San Francisco. <laughs> I don't know why that's <laughs> well, always the a, world capital. very multinational place. It's, and it's, I, it's a lovely city. I think in the future, the presumption is that L.A. has burned to the ground. <laughs> we saw Blade Runner. It's no longer inhabitable. We've decided to move Starfleet a little further up the coast. San Francisco seems at least like it will have running water a little bit further on. But it does seem like a mid-century American invention, you know? Yeah. Like, did Gene Roddenberry ever think, yeah, it would be Geneva or uh, Beijing or... Right. Clearly. Probably, probably Beijing is the better better option. Right. But, like, think of all the nations in France, including Basque people. But, you know, the Bretons and the... What would you say? The, the Provençals? Provençals. I, I mean, how, what, the, what France are. is... Uh, Gaul represents the unification of a dozen what you could call nations of people. But and it may be just be some Roman era accident, you know, whatever, whatever treaty creates all these lines could be just uh, thousands of years old right. and holding for essentially no reason. But so this bounces around. And in the instance of Moravia, Moravia is a part of like a major part of what we have recently called the Czech Republic which used to be half of Czechoslovakia. Did you hear they want to be Czechia now? Well, they are Czechia. And in fact, they've referred to themselves as Czechia for years. They just couldn't get anybody else to call them Czechia. Because it sounds terrible. But to be fair, the Czech Republic is very ungainly. It's not not very... uh, You don't want to say, I'm going to... The Czech Republic. Oh yeah, what's what's the name of that place? Well, it's the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic. Yes, but what's it called? But you know, from their standpoint, right, they called Germany Germania. They, they do in the Czech Republic. Ooh, that's like an Albert Speer thing. Germania. Let's walk down the boulevards of Germania. <laughs> yeah. And every time I've ever visited the Czech Republic, uh, the handful of times I have, the Czechs themselves sort of talk about Czechia. Um, oh, in their language, they would say. Well, and in, and when they're speaking to me in English, they're like, well, well how long have you been in Czechia? Never, because it's not a thing. <laughs> Stop making Czechia catch on. And the, it's exactly right. Stop forcing that meme. But in fact, they've recently declared that Czechia is what they'd like to be called, Czechia. I just saw that Kazakhstan wants to start spelling it with a Q. Yeah, that's right. They're, they are, well, Kazakhstan is now changing their alphabet from uh, Cyrillic because they were Kazakhstan right. SSR. Do they have something that predates? Well, originally the language was a Turkic language and was uh, Kazakhstanian was written in Arabic script. So that would explain the, the Q without a U, our, yeah. our bugaboo from uh, a few entries ago. That's right, although it's going to be very hard for us to spell Kazakhstan Q-A-Z. That's going to be hard for my mind. Q-A-Z, man, what a scrabble hand. <laughs> And there's just, I know. And there's a second Q, Q-A-Z-A-Q. You got to have one of the blanks. But you can't use a proper name in Scrabble. That's a fair point. But so now now Kazakhstan is changing their alphabet to the Roman alphabet because they are trying to, they see that as modernizing sure. or joining the Western world uh, because they want to distance themselves from Russia because Russia continues to not fully recognize Kazakhstan's independence. Russia has a branding problem. <laughs> you want to get away from their weird backwards R's and uh, corrupt yeah, oligarchs. And, and I think Putin's uh, or the Russian official response to Kazakhstan's changing of their alphabet was like, oh, isn't that cute? Look at them go. They, it's almost like they're a country. <laughs> the same way we uh, relate to Canada, basically. Right. Well, no, Canada. No, we respect Canada. It's, uh, it's Can- I like how you immediately, <laughs> you immediately hedge against the idea that our future listeners might all be part of the Canadian hegemony. It's the Quebecois that I, that I fear. Wait, are you saying Quebec doesn't have a U either? Uh, uh, no, Quebec has a U. <laughs> okay. Thank but, goodness. You know, the Turks 
the Turks modernized, quote unquote, modernized uh, with Ataturk after the First World sure. War, and they changed their script from Arabic to Latin as part of this modernization. Although reading their language in the Latin script gives you no indication how it's pronounced. It doesn't help at all, right? Because there are so many little accent uh, curly cues and accent grave and accents all over the places. So you look at their written language in, in Latin script and it's just- They've like, got stuff hanging off consonants. It's crazy. Uh, it's, so- And if you're, in, if you're in Turkey, you will find all sort of uh, old historic sites, old graveyards. It's all written in Arabic script. But anyway, Moravia, so Moravia doesn't exist is, is the point of all this? No, it does. It's just that it, like what we are now calling Czechia is an area that is made up of Bohemia, right. which we know, which we think of as sort of another word for another name for Czechia and Moravia, which is the second half of this federation. I mean, like anywhere in Europe, this country is made up of a hundred different margraves and you know, and principalities. Sure. But Czechia and Moravia combined to make the major part of the Czech Republic with Silesia as a sort of adjunct. So isn't it sort of bogus that they call it Czechia? That would be like us saying that the U.S. is like well, no, because, California. Because the, word, the name Czech uh, includes both Bohemia and Moravia. You, it, would, it would be offensive, I guess, to Moravians if you called it Bohemia, all of the country. Just as it's offensive to Scots to call Britain England. But you're saying Czechia is not a subdivision of the Czech Republic, or it is? Czechia is the entirety of the Czech Republic. Oh, now. I see. So Czechia, so Czechia is made up of Bohemia, Silesia, and Moravia. And Moravia. Okay. And the Moravians have an identity separate from the Bohemians. Ah. They they have a dialect. They it's kind of like an intra-Czech friendly competition. When you cross from Bohemia to Moravia, you get a different spirit. England, Scotland kind of a thing? Yeah. Or F Flemish and French in Belgium, that kind of a... It's not as different as Flemish and French. Like the languages, they speak the, ultimately the same language with a little bit of a dialect. Probably not even as great as the difference between like German and Swiss. Maybe more akin to Austrian and Swiss okay. uh, in terms of like how the languages sound to one another. And very different from Slovakian, which is also in the same family. Slovakians and Czechians, Czechs, are intelligible to one another. And that, I think, is maybe closer to English and Scottish, say. I see. So it's even, yeah, it's even closer. than It's more of a regional, it's like Texas and Oklahoma or something? Well, no, not quite that similar. Maybe between, like, Alabaman and Michiganian, Michiganian, Michigander, <laughs> Michigander in a world where those two are kind of adjacent. Yeah. Because that's the thing about uh, Europe is the scale of it. It's a, right. it's a fun little model train table of a continent. Well, and what's interesting about the Czech Republic and Slovakia is that there is a lot of historic difference. Like the Czech half of that country was part of the Austro Austrian side of the Austro-Hungarian empire. And Slovakia was very much part of the Hungarian side. Oh, well, so creating Czechoslovakia as the, as the Soviets did was kind of a forced Well, as, at, not the Soviets, but it was created actually by the Treaty of uh, Versailles, end of uh, World Versailles, War I? Trianon. It was, it, it was part of that end of World War I 
thing where they were just arbitrarily drawing boundaries and and, and messed up the world. Yeah, they screwed up. They, they, they create the Middle East and eh, we'll just put straight lines here. It'll be fine. They didn't make a Kurdistan and now look at us. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So anyway, uh, Moravia is sort of geographically really interesting area. It's one of the few areas in Eastern Europe are really the only where there's a, there's kind of a long valley that you can move north to south because you've got the Carpathian mountains, you've got the Sudeten mountains, like to go up from the Hungarian plain into Poland, there's only really this one big wide route. So Moravia has been traditionally, um, you know, this sort of area of transit. It's a thoroughfare. It is a thoroughfare. Does that make it a culturally diverse kind of a place? Um, yes. I mean, it was, although also no. I mean, it, you know, w- that Eastern European intermixing has sort of all, that all settled down. And they are Slavic people, but lots of connection to the sort of Germans, so many, so many Germans in and out of there although a lot of those Germans were removed at the end of World War II in this enormous migration of Germans out of Eastern Europe because they were no longer welcome. Because they had tried to invade? I mean... No, because the Germans of of Moravia and Czechia had lived there for centuries, 500 years or more. Is this what legitimizes Hitler being like, eh, yeah. I'm just going to take over part of Czechoslovakia. That's right. Please, the, please uh, turn your back. While the I... Sudetenland was largely a germ, was largely uh, populated by Germans. And that's not true anymore. They At the end of World War II, the Germans, even ones who had lived there for centuries, were forcibly removed from Eastern Europe and sent back to Germany where they had almost no ties, but they still spoke German because they maintained their German identity in all these other territories. Who removed them? The new governments? Their new neighbors? The Soviet invading Soviet army said, and also the sort of nationalist nationalist governments of these new territories were like out, banished. Anyway, so there's lots more to talk about and and we can talk about the German migrations out of uh, Central Europe at the end of World War II in another episode. Boy, that's, I can just hear our future <laughs> listeners clicking their little mandibles in anticipation of that. Did you say more Central European <laughs> politics and demography? But so moving on to Monrovia. Okay. Uh, and we start. Or, or back to Monrovia. Back to Monrovia. Because we start rhyme. with Monrovia, Moravia. Uh, we just talked about Moravia first. But Monrovia is a city 
in Western Africa. Yes. And it's the capital of Liberia. And Liberia is a nation that was founded by freed slaves from America and the Caribbean, who then, as part of a back to Africa movement that uh, was sort of spearheaded by a group called the American Colonization Society, decided that... Were these the same guys that released the Starlings in Central Park? <laughs> no, no, it was before that. Okay, this was good. as early as 1818, 1822. The American Colonization Society was a group of sort of aristocratic American whites who said... <laughs> I know how to solve this. That's right. There are all these freed slaves now that we've eliminated slavery in the northern half of the Americas and in a lot of the Caribbean... And it's going to be very complicated to grant them full civil rights in the American states. Wouldn't it be easier if we could just resolve this problem by sending, you know, like not sending, but forming new nations in Africa, which we repopulate with these now expatriated former slaves. The funny thing is, I'm sure this was some... uh well-meant progressive cause at the time. Yeah, like absolutely was. All of America's best liberals were probably like, I know what this, you know, I know the compassionate thing to do here. That's and, right. And in, in hindsight, we can see how convenient this is. Yeah, right? wouldn't, wouldn't they rather be back in Africa? Wouldn't it be great if we just didn't have to see them or deal with them or are, you know, the legacy of what we have done anymore? And, and the back to Africa movement has been popular over time, multiple different times. And in it, fact, including with African-American leaders, right? right? People it, like Marcus Garvey sort of thought this was, this was the patriotic thing to do to embrace our African roots. Right. In the sixties and seventies, there was a, there was a, a large back to Africa movement. I think what happens though, is that it's very difficult for African-Americans to go back to Africa and feel anything other than completely estranged. We have created... A root, when I say we, I mean, you know, us, the white, America. White males. Well, high, or high five, everybody. Let's just say America because it, we're all in this together. Sure. And our European slave trading forebears. We, cre we created a rootless people that uh, is not going to be at home just where their ancestors happened to live 450 years ago. Yeah. And I think, I think not a rootless people. I think Amer African Americans are Americans. Americans, right. <laughs> but, uh, and, and it would be just as difficult if you took somebody from Moravia. Uh, who ha whose family had lived in America for 300 years and right. said, back to Moravia. Some Midwestern pioneer. Time to go back to Bohemia. <laughs> but Monrovia is named for President James Monroe, the fifth president of the United States. Not Marilyn Monroe, which is what I had in my notes. Nope, nope, to know. nope. Yeah, you better scratch out. that out. Uh, uh, James Monroe was the president of the U.S. who also sort of felt like this was a good compromise. This was during that part of American history where there had all, there was already a significant conflict between the Northern and Southern states about how we were going to resolve this question as far back as the 1820s. Sure. This is way before the civil war. And we spent this whole period of 30, 40, 50 years trying to navigate in the Congress, in the United States Congress, how we were going to do this. And there was the Missouri Compromise. There were all these instances where we were trying to say like, well, every new state we admit to the Union as a free state, we have to also find a slave state to, to you know, the Kansas-Nebraska Act or whatever. We have to figure out how we're going to get uh, parity between these two completely incompatible and inconsistent systems. So yeah, it occurs to me that this current politically convenient idea that uh, 
the Civil War was a tragedy that could have been avoided by the right compromise doesn't hold a lot of historical water since we have 40 to 50 years of attempts yeah. at compromising it away. No, we fought we fought this uh, politically for decades before it finally came to the Civil War. And people were like beating each other in Congress with their walking sticks. And it was a <clears throat> an ugly conflict. And then the Civil War happened and Reconstruction, and it remains an ugly conflict to this day, the reverberations of it. But this idea of going back to Africa and forming a new nation, it was a liberal and utopian idea. And so this group, the American Colonization Society, kind of funded it. And we successfully founded a nation. Probably of, one of the few independent nations in Africa, right? At a time when the rest of it was all colonies. Right. Maybe just Ethiopia and us. Uh, well, so the, the first instance of this was Freetown in Sierra Leone was the first city formed by freed slaves. Hence the name. But That's right, Freetown. But Liberia was now going to be a nation. And so there was this sort of long peninsula where the, the, the Mesherado River separates out this kind of like big, almost a sandbar. But they formed this city of Monrovia. And it was a, it's a great sort of natural harbor. And it was, and you know, there were, of course indigenous people living there. I was just thinking about the people who got displaced by this. These tribes like the the Gribos and the Bassas and the, you know, there were people there. And these were some of the West Africans whose relatives and friends were among the people who either were initially enslaved and taken to America or also these were, West Africa was an area where the local people conspired with Western slavers to enslave the people from further in Africa. Sure. So they, it would have been a, an area of transit. Now was a new nation, and Monrovia was its capital. So George Washington and James Monroe, the only two U.S. presidents to get world capitals named after them. Hmm. Nice job, you guys. Interesting. Well done. And Liberia has had a lot of success and also tremendous sort of, at least in recent times, like real real problems. Uh, there was a Liberian civil war or a couple of them. Sure. Corrupt dictators during the seventies right. and eighties. A, and... a man named Prince Johnson, who was one of these uh, characters that had a lot of child soldiers and sort of destroyed the country in order to own it. Um, in 2014, there was an Ebola epidemic. They cannot catch a break. No, I was over there in uh, Western Africa, sort of right around this period. And it was a very, it was a very tricky time, both because every time you would go through an airport, there were a lot of people wearing masks and there, there actually was a person at the airport. I went through an airport where a person pointed a, like a heat gun at me. Oh, to see if you had a fever? To see if I had a fever. Does that work? Apparently. And he was just standing there kind of like slightly bored looking, just pointing this heat gun at everyone who walked through. I think this was the airport in Naimi or something like that. And it was, he was just looking for somebody with a really high fever and he was going to pull him aside and say, wait, I think you might have Ebola. And you could just say, no, I have the rock and pneumonia <laughs> and the boogie, <laughs> the boogie, boogie, boogie flu. Uh, and also coming back into the United States, like I had to answer yes when... All those questions that everyone else just ignores. Have you been to any of these West African countries? <laughs> yeah, and you're like, like, no, wait. Well, technically I have. This time, yes. And then uh, in just recent times, uh, Liberia elected the first female leader of an African nation. Yeah, she's like some black woman... President Bartlett, right? She's like some yeah. Harvard-trained economist who has won Nobel Prizes and stuff. Yeah, Ellen Sirleaf. 
who was, yeah, very progressive, but of course it's very difficult to reform, well, any nation, but Liberia at the time had been, you know, hit decades with, of yeah, hit with some tough, tough times. Now, when we get to the second half of my little rhyme, uh, Monrovia, Moravia, Moldova, Moldavia, uh, things start to really get confusing. Uh, and so again, I'm going to skip ahead. I'm going to, I'm not going to go to Moldova first. I'm going to go to Moldavia, uh, because Moldavia is one of those central European countries, which is almost better described as a condition or a complication, uh, because it's a very small region that sort of it's defined by rivers. Where is it, John? Moldavia is a component of the historic region of Bessarabia, which is... So it's in Arabia. No, it is nowhere near Arabia. It is bound by Ukraine and Romania. Okay. Very close to the Black Sea, although excluded from having a Black Sea border. Probably by design, right? By design. So it is a landlocked country but bound by rivers, bounded by rivers, and those rivers empty into the Black Sea. So it's very close to the Black Sea. It could have a Black Sea port, or it could have a, you know, a, a, a beach, uh, but in fact, it does not. So, so if you're headed to Moldavia for the beach, everyone, even before listening to the rest of this recording, please turn around. Right. And in fact, Moldavia no longer exists under that name. There's no current Moldavia. Where is no. Moldavia? Well, Moldavia became Moldova. Oh. Moldova is a country that exists now, but used to be Moldavia. And in their most recent bout of independence, they successfully changed their name to Moldova. But M Moldavia was this region that was really, really coveted by Russia. And this is a Russia that has already sussumed or subsumed, rather. Sussumed was a was a Phil Collins song. Sussumia. So the Soviets. The Soviets, having already subsumed Ukraine, really coveted this little area around the Dniester River. And Dniester, I uh, love a river with a silent D. This has a, a silent D at the tribe, right? You might want to pronounce this the Dniester River, but the D is silent. It's not named for Denise Huxtable. <laughs> this little area was, it changed hands multiple times. In fact, it uh, historically was part of the Duchy of Lithuania. They managed Wait, to, Lithuania is way up by the, it's the Baltic it's Sea. It's a Baltic country, but the Duchy of Lithuania was a real power in Real successful duchy at the time, right? Uh, it was. It, it was, was ill duchy. <laughs> I think I say duchy. Is it duchy? It was past the duchy down the left hand side. You can also <laughs> say duchy. Uh, I, I guess it is a duke and not a duck. Yeah, it's not a duchy. A, a duchy is one that's ruled by an actual duck. I would say the duchy, the duchy of Lithuania. That's kind of the duchy way to pronounce it, though. <laughs> I mean, I don't say Paris, I don't say <laughs> France, but I do say the Duchy of Lithuania. But, but it was, so it traded hands, this area, Bessarabia, let's say, traded hands back and forth many, 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 many times. So what we would call the Moravians, or I'm sorry, 
See? <laughs> See? The Monrovians. No, the Moldavians. <laughs> the Moldavians. They speak Romanian. Yes, I have a friend who went to Moldova just to study Romanian. You have a friend in Moldova? I do. He uh, he was a neighbor of ours who moved there a couple of years ago with his family to study Romanian. Is he Moldovan? <laughs> uh, even weirder, he is Mormon. Mormon missionaries often oh, yes. get an attachment to the place where they're elected to serve. Did he do missionary work yeah, in he, Moldova? So he lived in Moldova for a couple of years, uh, I think. And then often it'll just get in their blood and they'll want to go back. So it's he's studying Romanian in Moldova. Really interesting to go to Moldova to study Romanian. Why is that? Well, although they speak Romanian, uh, Moldovan is another dialect, but for the entire, well, not the entire, but for a lot of the Soviet period from 1917 to 1991, Moldavian, which is what it was called at the time, was spelled with a Cyrillic alphabet. Wow. Okay. So a lot of people might not realize this, but Romanian, despite being an Eastern European country, is a Rom uh, a romance language. It's, it is. It's closely related to Italian and Spanish and French, and they would write with a Latin script. Yes. But not in Moldavia or now in, indeed, Moldova. Well, in Moldova, they do use no, a Latin script. No, I thought I had it. I know. Well, so Romanian, although it is surrounded by countries that speak Slavic languages, yes. Bulgaria to the south, uh, Serbia to the west, Ukraine and uh, Russia to the east. Now, Hungary to the north and Hungarian is another one of these languages that doesn't resemble it's just any an island. It's just it, it, uh, Hungarian actually is closest to Finnish. They do their first names last. That's what I saw when I was in Hungary. That's it's not right. Franz List. It's List Frank. It's like they're Japanese or well. And there is some crazy theory that Hungarian and Finnish grammar is closest to Japanese That's... of all the world languages. Although there's no reason it would be. It seems hard to imagine. Unless the Grand Duchy of Lithuania had something to do with well, except joining the, them all up. The Hungarians are descendants of the Huns, and the they name. came from way, way east. Although there's no reason to think they would come from Japan. Japan. <laughs> but anyway, Romanian is a Latin language surrounded by all these different languages that have no resemblance to it at all. Yes. And it's a, it is a descendant of Rome. This was hence like, the name. Hence the name, right? Like uh, Trajan's Column in Rome is a column that celebrates the victory of the emperor Trajan over the Dacian people who were the historic residents of what, of the Carpathian mounds, what we call Romania, Romania today. I wonder why Romania held out like all those other places that Rome got have given up on romance languages. Well, Romania is geographically very difficult to conquer. Uh, the I, I've never conquered it. <laughs> I dream of it all the time. <laughs> I mean, I conquered it in like, in spirit, right? But the Carpathian Mountains are enormous. They're basically a, 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 a second Alps. And they form a giant sort of um, half moon that is super difficult to get over. And so the Romans that were there just hung out and kept being Romans, such that Romanian and Italian are mutually intelligible to one another. You can speak Italian in Romania and they understand you. Really? Yeah. Although, you know, there are other sort of diphthongs and I mean, they're not. Sure. You have to learn the pronunciation twists. Yeah. I think it's probably to... analogous to Catalonian and Spanish. Sure. Or in Spanish and Portuguese, like. 
as a Spanish speaker, I can hear a Portuguese speaker and sort of make the changes in my mind and right. get at what they're saying. Right. And and in Romania, actually, you if you uh, have a transaction in a shop, you would say merci because they have a, like, as thank you. It's not even slang. It's just kind of part of their idiom. Uh, they think of themselves as a Western nation. That's right. And we don't, they don't know that like, we only think of them as like modern day Transylvania. Yeah. Right. Like to us, they're the epitome of a Eastern European Gothic mystery. Well, although the Transylvanian part of Romanian of Romania is traditionally part of Hungary. And it was only through this treaty at the end of world war one, the treaty of Versailles, that probably a third of Hungary full of Hungarian people, not just Hungarian-speaking people, but Hungarians, was transferred to Romania as part of basically what I think if you asked a Hungarian, it was just punishment of Hungary. So what was Romania gained a third of its modern territory by just cleaving it from Hungary. Just a bonus. And one of the reasons that Hungary sided with the Nazis in World War II was not any feeling of love like sympathy for the Nazis as much as it was this Hungarian revisionism where Hitler promised them the return of their territory. Uh, that was part of the deal, that if they joined the Axis, that they would regain this enormous, what's called the Banat or this Hungarian plain and also Transylvania, all this sort of mountainous. But today that's still modern day Romania? It's Romania now, although if you go into any church or graveyard, all the gravestones are written in Hungarian. And <laughs> Well, I, I regret bringing up Transylvania. <laughs> it's not in your rhyme. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So Moldova or Moldavia was a Romanian place, but coveted repeatedly by the Russians. So the Russians were initially granted it after the Russo- Turkish War, which is sort of contemporaneous with Napoleon. Okay. Mid-19th century. They wanted Bessarabia and they got it. But then during the Crimean War, uh, 18, late 1850s, it was returned to Moldavia, this territory, right? Because Moldavia was sort of Bessarabia. It's, I don't want to get into all that, but that, then that maybe John, that may be a good call. <laughs> but then in 1878, it went back to Russia, but then Romania was becoming its own nation at this time, sort of separating itself from these other sort of like Austro-Hungary. Austro-Hungary yeah. And so as part of that exchange, the coastal area along the Black Sea 
which was called Dobrugia, uh, the Russians said, well, we, we have that territory. We'll trade you for Moldavia. And so they did a little trade. They'd rather have Moldavia than the coast. The Russians would, yeah, because oh, Moldavia, Moldavia... must be good. Well, it's very hard to look at Moldavia and understand why it is such a coveted place, although it is at the mouth of the... Of a navigable the, river. Yeah, although who knows. But but the Black Sea coast, it seemed like Russia had enough of it because it included, sure. at the time, Ukraine and Crimea. So they traded, and now Moldavia was part of Russia again. Can you imagine a world where this just happens every couple of years? Like your globe is totally wrong because two guys with weird mustaches got together and was like, oh, you take the mountains, I'll take the, the valley, you know? Right, right. Well, that just doesn't like today. It's a huge thing if somebody even wants to like move an island in the middle of a river to the other country, you know, like borders just do not get redrawn that much today. Well, but who like right now? I mean, there's there's this idea that the city of San Francisco is going to secede from the United States. Well, there's not really. But like Texas would go if we'd let them. Uh, San Francisco goes. Where do we put Starfleet? That's the main uh, problem. I think we agreed it was Beijing. Probably Beijing. Uh, So then the Russian Revolution happened in 1917 and. Moravia was briefly independent, but then invaded again by Romania, who kept it until, and this is the wonderful part where we tie it back in, as Germany was sort of seizing, you know, like onschlussing with Austria and taking part of Czechoslovakia and, you know, kind of expanding, there was this treaty called the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, where Stalin and Hitler were friends and agreed that they were going to split up Europe with a line down the middle. Yes. Who gets and, Moldova? Mal- sorry, and, Moldavia. And Moldavia is given back to the USSR pre-World War II. Right. As part of this Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. But then when the war starts two years later, Romania sides with Germany and regains Moldavia in 1941 but then loses it again at the end of World War II when the Soviets come in and take it back over. So I can't tell if everyone wants Moldavia or nobody wants it. I think at least thus far, everyone who has had the opportunity has taken it. So in 1918, the Russians changed the Moldavian language from Latin script to Cyrillic. Uh, But when the Romanians took it back, they changed it back to Latin and then the Russians took it over again at the end of the war and turned it back to Cyrillic. So imagine being in school during sure. that time. Yeah, first and second grade, we had this alphabet. Then we had to tear it down from third to fifth grade. Right. Sixth and seventh grade, we got the old one back. These alphabets don't look anything like each other, sure. but the language stayed the same. The spoken language stayed the same. That's insane. You probably had a whole generation that just couldn't read very well. Well, and I imagine at that time, literacy was not... Sure. I mean, literacy in 1941, even then in the United States, wasn't universal. You could do the same thing by inventing TV, probably. So I think a lot of people there just sort of spoke their same language and didn't care how it was spelled. I am illiterate in both alphabets. But so then, finally, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, there was a brief moment there in 19, in the late 80s. And hold on, remind me, where did we land? Who who had um, so Moldavia through the Cold Moldavia War? Moldavia through the Cold War is part of Russia. Oh, it's part of Russia. And they then they speak their Romanian language, but and it, does it border Russia letters. or is it like a little exclave? It borders Ukraine. So it doesn't border. Okay, I guess it borders the Soviet Union. But borders it's the not Soviet part Union, but not Russia. Huh. At the end of the Cold War, even before Ukraine was 
agitating for independence, Moldavia was among the first nations to say, we want a way. And initially the Moldavian independence movement wanted to reunite with Romania, but then it quickly morphed into wanting full independence for itself. And they succeeded and became independent in 1991, changed the alphabet back to Latin. So now Moldavian, which is basically Romanian, became like its own branch of Romanian. And it is a dialect. And it's probably Moldovan now, right? And then they changed their name to Moldova. (laughs) Not for any reason I can understand, except that the country is sort of defined by its position on the Moldova River. You could call it Moldavia or you could call it Moldova. Tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. And the Moldova River, the, I mean, the legend of it is that many, 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 not eons, but uh, an epoch ago, a prince, but actually he was described as a, v- a voivode. Ah, uh, uh, yes. A voivode. It's like a count. Like, a, I think Dracula is a voivode as well. A voivode, It's just right. some kind of aristocrat. So the voivode of Maramuresh, which is a territory of Romania. I'm trying to decide at what point you just started making up names. Name I thought it was Debrugia, but I just switched to Marmuresh or whatever. Maramuresh. Yes. And these are Romanian names that have little, the, the uh, letters have little tails the C's on them. C's and S's have things coming off them. Right. So it looks like it's spelled Maramaras, but it's actually Maramuresh. Uh, but his name was Dragos. And he's the fictional guy from Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> oh, that's right. Dragos, who lived on the top of, uh, <laughs> who was guarded by Zul. Uh, he was hunting an auroch, which is a now extinct sure. kind of cow. Giant ox or something. That lived in Europe until the 1600s. That's so crazy that there were like these saber-toothed tiger yeah. peers still around. Giant oxen that were wild that lived in Europe until the 1600s. Okay. He was hunting a bull, an Arach bull, that had a star on it. And his lead hound was a, uh, a bitch named Molda, his female lead hound, Molda. And in the pursuit of this star-crossed Arach, wow. Molda fell into the river and drowned. And so the Moldova River was named after this epic hunting dog. That is a better origin story than anything we have in America. Right. Like a, 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 an extinct megafauna with a star on it. Was being a, hunted by a, a voivode. And a, and a heroic hound yeah. that goes to its, her death. That is good stuff. So they changed their name to Moldova. Do they know about the English word mold? It's not great. It's no. Not, it's, it's, it's not a great look for us. It's completely unrelated. I just think... Uh, it's, it's, it's tough on their brand. They're the only country with mold in the name. Well, but there are other things that are tougher on their brand. One of them is that Moldova is now the poorest country in Europe. Ah. But also, after they declared independence, the area around the Dniester River, with a silent D, wanted independence from Moldova. Isn't Moldova already tiny? It is very tiny. It is a tiny, tiny, landlocked, little, tiny place that has had this enormously tumultuous history. And now a tinier part of Moldova decided that it wanted independence. And basically it is the area just around the eastern shore of the Dniester River, which 
declared independence and called itself Transnistra. And it, it must be even smaller. It is small enough that with a good slingshot, you could shoot a tennis ball across the whole of the nation. Moldova is about the size of Maryland. I just looked it up. And trans- so it'd be like one county of Maryland being like, we should be an independent country. A tiny little county. And the Transnistrians all mostly retain Moldovan citizenship as well, but they are their own little place. They issue Is there any ethnic reason for this? Or are they just like weirdos, like some little town that... They're mo- they feel more Bessarabian and closer to Ukraine culturally... That's so funny. They feel like this affinity to these, uh, you know, long gone little Ruritanias that we couldn't even pick on up on a map. Right. Well, you couldn't pick any of this out on a map. So Moldova has this somewhat ongoing armed conflict with Transnistria. It's now mostly peaceful, but it really, and it really feels like almost that Transnistria seceded because of like four guys. Who, who decided they had an independence movement and they just it's, like... It's like their Zuckerberg thing. Like instead of starting a, comp- a company, these guys in their dorm rooms decided to... Yeah, they just seized a, a couple of bridges and uh, Moldova is poor enough that they just kind of couldn't keep it from happening. But I don't think any other country has really recognized Transnistria, right? You're not likely to meet the Transnistrian ambassador. Well, as you can imagine, I think probably the Russians did because that's kind of in their game, right? That's part of their brand. Like, sure, if you want to be part of Russia, absolutely. We love you. Uh, What is it? Trans what? Yeah, right. Exactly. Transnistria. Sure. But so as we go into the future and we on one hand keep trying to unite ourselves in a giant utopian world government ruled from San Francisco, we have to remember that there are still movements around the world where people are saying, this three mile long and 600 yard wide sliver of a riverbank is its own nation and its own people. To me, that wins because you can do that just out of spite or peak. You know, you can put up a sign, you know, actually combining two nations requires months and years of hard work. So I assume right now we are speaking to the 55,000 nation states <laughs> of a much smaller earth because the ocean levels have gone up. Right. But everybody in their own little backyard. Gets 40 acres and a mule. Essentially 40 acres and a, and a constitution and a post office. Well, we're speaking to you from the founding capital of Omnibusia. Here, uh, here, in, we- <laughs> here in Roderick, here in Rodericton. Rod, Rodericstan, I hope it to be called. <laughs> And that concludes Monrovia, Moravia, Moldova, Moldavia. Entry 805.GE1032, certificate number 18088 in the omnibus. Now, I assume every one of these tiny nation states, these little principalities and palatinates and duchies in your future has its own digital information network that's totally incompatible with all the others. That's right, totally separate and all vying for some of the business of future Amazon.com. Right, so at least future social media will balkanize into unusability. But in our day, that had not quite yet happened. Almost. So we were still tweeting at at Omnibus Project, as well as individually at at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. John was advancing the balkanization by creating the independent palatinate of Instagramia uh, under his handle 
at John Roderick. Yeah, at least I don't post on Tumblr. <laughs> and I, I stopped going on Snapchat when I realized that that was a nation state that wasn't going to survive. Was, a lot of these places are doomed. They're, they're failed. They're little Somalias. MySpace is Somalia, basically. Yeah. It's just all, constantly on fire. There's really no... <laughs> <laughs> Our email address, which hopefully will survive in your era, but I have no actual hope of that, was theomnibuspodcast at gmail.com. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. Uh, we hope and pray that the catastrophe that we seem to feel is imminent uh, may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.